Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 115 of Confessions of a Market Maker. I'm your co-host, Ray, a.k.a. All Day Ray, a.k.a. Wally Balls. And I'm joined here by my affluent co-host, former market maker, 20 years and current day retail trader, charming, witty, intelligent, humorous. He checks more boxes than a gynecologist. The infamous girl of Hell Street, JJ. How's it going? Hey, brother. How you doing? How you doing? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good, man. And our guest today is a research analyst within Bloomberg Intelligence. He's focused on the research of the broader asset management industry with specialized expertise in the coverage of ETFs, mutual funds, hedge funds, etc. He also works with Bloomberg's commodity strategists in the research of cryptocurrencies, which has helped him specialize in crypto and Bitcoin-related fund products in recent years. I am talking about James Seifert. James, how's it going, man? Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to this. Thanks so much for joining us uh jj i don't know if you know man we got a uh we got a former track star uh oh. with us on oh the wow you did your research i did i did okay. my research we, James, man. <laughs> we, we, we like uh we like athletes man uh on the pod man just maybe tell us a little bit about uh, your collegiate career man and just uh you know otherwise uh yeah i was a mid d distance runner uh d3 so you know mediocre but um did it for all four years so cross country winter track spring track um all four years of college Awesome. Primarily the mile was, was my, uh, was my distance. Oh, shout out to you, man. Uh, I long distance is never, I, I'm like a short distance guy. I'm a sprinter. Long distance is tough, man. It's a mental battle too, man. Like, uh, you, do you still, it's all uh, mental. St- it's all mental. Yeah. H- how do you, uh, actually I, I try and do it. I try and do it now. I try and do a few miles, but, um, you, you still keep up with it. You still run. Uh, yeah, I'm getting back into it again. I, I go in waves essentially, you know, after college, it was like, I'm not doing this for a little while. And then, and I was injured, so it made it easy, but now I, yeah, I went for a run this morning, not like yeah. crazy, just four miles, but trying to stay, stay in, you know, try to keep some of the pounds off. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. Um, yeah. So I figured, uh, you know, we got you on here to talk some, uh, you know, spot ETF primarily. Um, I saw it and I didn't know, I didn't know he was going to be in front of the Senate today. I think it was, uh, Ginsler um talking i I guess talking crypto i'm not exactly sure i mean you you might uh just tell tell us what this is happening today yeah it's just the the senator basically asking he's testifying in front of the senate so he's testifying on anything they've done with rule proposals across the entire like sec landscape and a really small subset was focused on crypto there was a few questions but he just basically dodged all those questions so far uh he's mainly getting criticized pretty heavily for um basically um, he's proposed the most rules out of anyone by far um, of recent chairmen, aside from stuff that happened under Dodd-Frank, which obviously had congressional backing, which whereas all the rules <laughs> his administration mm-hmm. has proposed uh, are basically coming from him unilaterally. So something we're watching is like how much of this is going to get wound back at some point in the future because the Congress isn't, isn't backing a lot of these things, but time will tell. Mm-hmm. What... Um... I guess, I guess what's been your whole take on his, um, I guess, general approach to crypto? Um, I'm not sure how much of your own opinion you're allowed to give. Uh, say that question again. I can, I can give my, everything is my opinion. So we'll okay. just leave it at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just guess, you know, you know, uh, he's had some critics uh, as far as, I guess, uh, his approach to the, uh, just the crypto currency in general um, from, you know, SBF, um you know, other things as well. I, I guess, you know, I guess it's more of a general question, but do, do you have any thoughts on just how he's handled crypto? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I've been extremely critical of the way he's done it. Like, it, they've completely lost the force for the trees. They're holding ETFs hostage for for other rulemaking capabilities they're trying to do. Um, and they've like, there's been some serious frauds that people in the industry have been calling out for a long time. Like, why isn't the SEC doing anything? Mm-hmm. Um, they're starting to do it now. I mean, I don't want to get into like a huge argument, but like Hex and like Richard Hart and there's these other things that are like blatant, like possible issues, and they're going after people like Coinbase, where it's like, come on, like. So like if you're going to, I have no problem with them arguing with Coinbase and trying to figure out um, different laws and trying to silo things off. Because if you look at traditional financial markets, as you guys know, like things are siloed, like you don't have a custodian that owns an exchange that also owns like all these other things, right? Like that's just not the way it works. So like I can understand why the SEC wouldn't like that. But also at the same time, like you're doing that where people are like arguably much safer there when you're letting like FTX and all these other like blatant fraud and schemes, pyramid schemes, things happen. Um, and they're not doing anything about it. Yeah, no, it's incredible. I, I, I've been thinking the same thing, right? Like the blatant frauds, uh, that they're not going after. I, I assume you probably know more so than me. Um, uh, I assume there's political things, backdoor stuff (laughs) going on. I would imagine. (laughs) Yeah, so he's definitely like part of the. He he comes out of the ilk of the left wing, the Democratic Party. Like all the the jokes about him reporting to Elizabeth Warren, like there is some truth to them. He does like that is the the side of the political party that got him into power. So he does report to them in a way. Um, mm-hmm. So like some of this stuff, like even if he was a fully like diehard crypto person, like he wouldn't be able to get those things through um, in under the admin that he's currently in, essentially. But no matter how you slice it, it's it's just been a hodgepodge of. He he's in my opinion he's fumbled the ball um, in multiple different areas here. Yeah, yeah. Do you so, think uh, that's? Do you think that's just because regulation? You know, you know, crypto is brand new technology, and the regulators are trying to regulate. You know, um, Star Wars technology using you know hammer, hammers and nails. Uh, do you think there's a lack of understanding of how the technology works, which is why? No. It's impeding this? No? No, I don't. Like so like back in like 2017-ish time range, I had we had meetings with the SEC and like we weren't supposed to talk about crypto, but naturally we it came up because Bitcoin ETFs had been denied and stuff like that. So but like talking with people, even the staff, like they know what they're talking about. Like they were they were more okay. knowledgeable than me at the time. So like okay. they they understand this stuff. I mean, Gensler taught uh, an MIT class on blockchain technology and crypto. Like I've listened, I learned from him, like watching some okay. of those videos. I regret spending how many hours I did watching it, trying to like kind of assess what he might do when he came into office because mm-hmm. it was the complete opposite of what I thought was going to happen. <laughs> but like he, he knows how it all works. He knows the benefits. Okay. And like, he's not wrong to say the, the place is rife with fraud and manipulation. Like there's like a straight up fact as far as I'm concerned. So people... Yeah, um, I've been around yeah. for 30 years, so anytime you introduce a new product or a market, of course, the people are going to be taking advantage of it, yeah. right? Especially in a market. I mean, 30 years ago, we used to all sit around and go, hey, could you imagine if there's something we could trade that's not regulated, what we could do with it? Oh, my God. Right? <laughs> I mean, like, seriously, right? You, you know, yeah. you, you take a couple I, I of billion dollars. I worked with a guy who said the same thing. We were started covering this in late 2017. And he was like, pardon me, like if I were younger, I'd quit and I'd go back into trading just for this. You know, or even (laughs) just issuing coins. I mean, I mean, we used to take companies public here. There's no disclosure. There's no registering of stock. There's no insider trading limits. None of that exists. Right. Yeah. It's a complete Wild West market. So I'm looking at. okay. so now you tell us that the regulators are technically proficient. What about 
the people who control the regulators or the politicians, you think maybe that's where the bottleneck is? No, no, that's part of the problem. Like with something I've been saying and we've been saying in our research for a long time, this has become, like I said, I said in the beginning, they lost the forest for the trees. There's a lot of one, they're trying to like fit into a, a political decision. What is a regulatory oh, okay. decision in many ways in our view? Um, so there's obviously some things that they're doing that make complete sense. Some of these rule changes they're trying to propose, some of the things they want done make sense. And then there's other things where it's like, you are doing nothing but stifling everything. Like you can't, like they, they can't see the, the differences between like things they're talking about. That said, it's all political decisions. So the only time that things are going to change is when it becomes politically untenable. But then again, like you have people like Elizabeth Warren saying they're they're raising a, an army of anti-crypto, an anti-crypto army, essentially. So like, it's something that she's campaigning on. So like, can it be politically untenable if it's something that she's like really pushing herself and wants to be seen as because some people hate it? Um, I don't know. Um, but it probably is becoming untenable for, for Gensler in our view with all these court cases that he's losing in his administration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is interesting because we're, we're starting to see some of the, um, some of like the political candidates are becoming like, I don't want to say they're running on pro BTC, but they're using that, I guess, as one of their uh, their uh, talking points too. Um, it's interesting. It's it's reached now into the political realm. Um, I guess James, um, I just uh, just want to ask you, just uh, personally, just about yourself, man. Like, was finance something that you always thought you know saw yourself getting into, or just you know, just tell a little bit of how you got into the industry? Um. Kind of, yeah. Like, I, there there was always stuff like I, like we talked about. I was a runner, so I kind of was interested in PT, but like not enough to to go fully do it and i like uh one of my things is like i always wanted to be in a role where like i could be competitive so like i like thought about teaching but like you could be the best teacher in the world you're not going to get paid anymore or do any better than the teacher right next to you who's the worst teacher in the world Mm -hmm. so um yeah that's what basically led me here and here i am here he is yeah that's cool man Uh, we yeah we, we find that with like a lot of people like a lot of like former athletes they like it because it's a it's performance based, right? Like trade, tra- yeah. like doing these things is performance based, which is cool um, for sure. So we just got to take a quick second here to shout out our good friends of the podcast, Apex Trader and Top Step Funding. Any listener of the podcast that has the skills to pass an evaluation can become a prop trader fully funded by either Apex Trader or Top Step Funding. Our own Micro E Futures trading community has many members who are now fully funded. No need to trade with your own money. Keep 90% of the profits. To learn more, visit our website at Micro efutures.com so james for, uh, so for our audience who may not understand uh what's what's the difference from the already approved bitcoin futures uh trading product that they have um which i believe has been trading for some time now and then now the pending applications that we have for some you know for the spot uh bitcoin etf yeah so we basically have these etfs that exist now for the most part like to differentiate them which I, i'm trying to dis- decide how deep down this rabbit hole we want to go and explain the differences but essentially when you apply for etfs it's more than two but there's two ways that you apply one of them is under the 1933 act and one is under the 1940 act um oh, okay. all etfs used to have to go through this 1933 act process which is like if you've seen these deadlines like we need to the sec is going to have to respond here on this deadline it's either going to be a delay deny or approve that's the 19 before process all spot bitcoins have to go through that process because they're they don't meet the diversification requirements and other requirements of 40 act funds oh, okay. 29 
in 2019, there was this new rule. It's called Rule 6011. It's the ETF rule. It basically allows these 40 Act funds to go through a different approval process. So it makes it a lot, it's a lot more streamlined. Basically, you apply, and as long as the SEC can't find anything that's like out of uh, whack with like rules they've already set or like they really don't want it to happen, like it's just going to be able to list. It's going to go effective, is the term, 75 days yeah. after the filing. Okay. So that's what happened with. Bitcoin futures ETFs. Gensler gave a speech on August 3rd, ProShares and other issuers filed like right after, and then they went live 75 days later. And that we, we were like one of the only people saying these things are going to go live. Like Gensler's not just saying we will look forward to these applications for nothing. Um, yeah. So we got that right. Um, so essentially the difference is those things hold futures, right? Mm-hmm. And futures, it's a regulated market. Um, it's already, uh, this, the C, it's on the CME. So the CFTC yeah. regulates that. And basically I'm assuming most people know this, but like you rolling futures contracts, just a less exactly. efficient way to get access to, to these markets, right? Because you have to, every single month, you have to sell the current month contract by the next month. And if the next month is a higher cost than the current month you're in, then you're, you have this roll cost of, cause you're selling low and buying higher. Um, and just over time that adds up. So like this year, it's like seven ish percent total that you're lagging spot due to both the fees of the fund and the trading and, and the rolling of futures. So like there's just an, a less efficient way of getting access to the market. So that that's what we're talking about with futures ETFs and spot would be just holding the actual Bitcoin and cold storage or whatever. Because we saw that, you know, uh, Franklin Templeton. Um, I yes. Think it was yesterday. They today. filed. A, oh, was it today? Oh. Yeah. They filed an S1 under the, the Exchange Act of 1933. So. That is now that is is a spot um, ETF. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's for, a, that's a spot ETF. Yeah. So for the people who at home, uh, you know, because we're getting into, can you explain simply what a spot ETF is, like uh, versus a futures ETF? Just for yeah, the so, folks at home. Yeah. So spot is just like they're going to hold. I'll put physical in quotes. They're going to hold physical Bitcoin in some sort of cold storage wallet or with a custodian in this case, be it. Uh, Coinbase, Fidelity, uh, Bitco, um, Gemini, potentially, institutional custody providers, and all it's going to do is going to hold the Bitcoin. Now, there's going to be ways that they'll differentiate each other, but essentially, it's just an ETF. And the way an ETF works, for like those who don't understand, is it started... We'll take a step back and explain exactly how it works. So, like the the reason, the the theory behind ETFs and why they were created were these things called commodities warehouse receipts. So basically, like you would store your gold in a vault, or you would store some other commodity, and then in return, you would get a receipt from that warehouse. We're going to take care of it, and these pieces of paper are equivalent to X amount of bars of gold or whatever, what have you. And you would just trade those pieces of paper rather than moving the physical commodity around. And basically, the thought process behind ETF is like, let's do the same thing with equities and bonds. So basically, there's some underlying recipe for a, a, a equity ETF. And it's just like, this is the recipe to make the shares of the ETF. So here, get all these stocks in this proportion and we'll give you 50,000 shares of the ETF. And at all points, those those shares are interchangeable with each other. So you can either hand the shares, get back the underlying or hand in the underlying, get back the shares. In the case of a Bitcoin ETF, it would be the spot Bitcoin. So you can either hand in Bitcoin and get back the shares or hand in shares and get back the Bitcoin, right? So like, that's the whole process. And what that does is it means, that's why Grayscale is such a broken product right now, because there is that mechanism doesn't exist. Because when you can always exchange the underlying for the shares of the fund, there's no way for the have like massive price dislocations. You'll have minor dislocations if um, like the, there's cost, there's friction to trade. So there's there's likely to be a little bit of difference between the price and the underlying value of the asset and other other avenues, right? There might be time lags, whatever. There's some minor things, but you're not going to get these 20, 30, 50% discounts like you're seeing in Grayscale because once once in an ETF, you can arbitrage that out. Like if the Bitcoin is, is worth way more than the shares are trading for, 
that out, right? You can make the profit of whatever that difference is. With, with Grayscale's products, you can't do that. So basically, this Bitcoin ETF would be something that you could trade. It'll trade way tighter than even what typical spot Bitcoin trades at on like regular crypto exchanges. Like we're talking penny wide, 0.01%. So it's going to be like near zero free zero fee to trade. So not only will it be zero commissions, but it will like trade extremely tight. So like even traders, I suspect, will really like to use this thing. Right now, Bido, the one we talked, the futures ETF, while I mentioned that it's lagging like 8% year to date, on a daily, monthly, weekly basis, like that thing trades like 99 point whatever correlated uh, to Bitcoin, right? So like for traders, they love it. It trades super tight. It's penny wide, um, bid ass spread. People love trading it for their exposure. But again, it's not a great tool for long-term holding. And ETF's biggest users are institutions and traders, but they're also advisors and individuals that want to hold an ETF for the long-term, which is why we consider a spot Bitcoin ETF to be like the holy grail of this whole situation. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, man. Cool. Uh yeah, I, I mean, I guess, I guess the thing I, I was wondering, um, and, and maybe I'm, I'm wrong with this, James, but um, futures, like as a product, are more risky, correct? Than I, I would think a, a spot ETF. I, I was just uh, wondering why they would, uh, you know, SEC would approve a futures product, um, and maybe not a spot ETF, or maybe I'm off basis here. So I don't know if I'd say definitively more risky. They're definitely more costly for the most part, because, okay. like I said, yeah. of the rolling the futures. Um, they're, and they're also complex, like people just don't understand them. So we have this system, we call it like the, the traffic light system. And we like give ETFs a green, yellow, or red light basically like, and it's for, it's not like this is a good investment or bad investment. It's more like these are some, you could be subject to potential nasty surprises. If you do this, like gold ETFs, um, get a green light, but they get a flag because they have alternative tax treatment. Like if they, they're taxed as collectibles, which most people don't realize they're not taxed like normal, um, equity securities. And then we'll flag other things like, oh, it's equal weighted, not weighted by the market cap. Um, and then we'll look for price dislocations. This thing is subject to price and nav dislocations, which often happens with international ETFs, right? But the, the biggest red flag for us are one, leverage, which a spot Bitcoin ETF wouldn't have, but two, it uses derivatives and futures to get the exposure because you are subject to serious roll cost potentials in when a futures market goes into contango or backwardation. So like, it's funny, like Bido gets a red light in our system. Um, but like a spot Bitcoin ETF would get a green light with literally no warnings because it doesn't have any tax issues uh, like a gold ETF would. Um, so like it would literally get zero warnings and a green light in our system. Um, so that's the way that we tend to look at things because mm-hmm. obviously like a, a VIX product, right? A volatility ETF, like that's not the, like we would never say like that's something clean that like your grandmother should be investing in. But if your grandmother wants to bet on the volatility of the stock market going up, it's like a perfect vehicle for her to do that. Um, right. But like, it's not a good long-term vehicle. And that's the same way that we view Bido. Like it's, if you want to get a short-term relatively medium-term exposure to Bitcoin markets, you want to trade Bitcoin exposure, Bido makes complete sense. Um, long-term, it's just less efficient than what a spot market, a spot ETF would be. Cool, cool. Thanks for breaking that down. So, um, so James, who, who are some of the, uh, the large funds um, who are filing uh, for spot ETF? Oh, I mean, well, I, <laughs> I could list uh, all of them, I guess. But like the main ones are like, so we have, we have um, BlackRock, you have Bitwise, mm-hmm. You have Vanek, you have Invesco, who's partnered with with Galaxy on this. Um, we just had Franklin Templeton file. Um, there's uh, Hashdex. Hashdex actually has a futures ETF. So I talked about those futures ETFs launching. Bido launched their 40-act. They, they launched 75 days after. But there's also some inefficiencies with 40-act products. Like, yes, you have 
you have futures ETFs, but part of the problem is when you roll those futures, I talked about like selling them, right? When you sell them at a profit, you have to distribute that because they're passed through entities. One of the benefits of the way that DeFi is structured, which didn't go under that 40 act process, it went under that 33 act process. Um, and so essentially what they can do is they don't have to distribute those dividends. So you've probably seen charts where people are like, oh, the Bitcoin futures ETF is underperforming spot by like 30%. Like uh, Michael Saylor just tweeted that out recently. And like, that's not how it works. Like you have to look at the dividends when you're comparing the total return of, of any sort of product. Um, so, but DeFi doesn't have to do that, but you have what's called a K1. And basically it structures a partnership and you can kind of, you don't have to distribute it immediately. So it's a little more tax efficient in the structures, particularly if you're investing um, into, you want Bitcoin futures ETF exposure in a taxable account. Um, but some of the other ones out there, uh, Global Access Filed, Fidelity, obviously, Wisdom Tree, um, and then ARC is partnered with 21 shares. So 21 shares is like, they're, I don't think they're the largest crypto ETF issuer, but they have the most products and they're all over Europe, primarily in Switzerland. Um, and I think that's it. Did I say Valkyrie? I think I said Valkyrie. Um, but yeah, we're, we're at like a lot of different <laughs> people trying to launch these things. We're at 12 yeah. if you include Franklin. And then there's also three Ethereum spot ETF proposals. Yeah, that's interesting. What's the, I was going to ask you about that. Uh do you have any leanings on, on Ethereum, like the, the chances of that getting approved? Um, so Ethereum futures ETFs, there's like 16 applications right now. They're mm -hmm. getting approved in October. They're coming to the market in, in October for sure. Uh, we're like 95% on that uh, outcome. Uh, for spot, I'm kind of waiting to see what happens with spot Bitcoin. We're, we're, we're at like 90 plus percent that we think it's going to be approved by the end of 2024. And 70-ish, 75% that we think we could see approval for a spot e Bitcoin ETF in 2023. Uh, but it's that's like a very flexible number for 2023 because like we're still waiting to see what happens with that Grayscale court case. So Grayscale won over the SEC, basically said the SEC was arbitrary and capricious in approving Bitcoin futures ETFs and not Grayscale spot application. So we're still in this like limbo zone where we don't know what's going to happen. And Kyrie is just testifying in front of Congress. And he basically avoided any questions on the Bitcoin ETF by saying like, we're, they're still looking at the reviewing the, the court's decision and we can't talk about ongoing litigation. Um, so like we, we didn't get any, I was hoping we might get some sort of answer from, from Gary on that, but he, he, uh, he basically sidestepped the question completely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to, I think, I think you, um, I think you answered this about the, the custody of of bitcoin and so it would be with like a coinbase i think you even mentioned gemini so we would be with one of these uh one of the exchanges um yeah yeah so like it, there's all these at bitgo i was i wouldn't be surprised if we saw bitgo as one of the providers i mean mm -hmm. after the news was first fortress uh i don't think fortress will be a custodian for any of these etfs um or prime trust but like it's going to be these more institutional grade um, and and, on, and Coinbase and Gemini, they are um, some of these other guys. They're custodians for other institutional funds and mm -hmm. even Canadian ETFs. They are um, they're custodians for some Canadian ETFs. Um, so like they are already doing this essentially, and they're ready to handle it. Um, but yeah, the, they would be the ones holding it. The one thing that we think that the SEC might be able to lean on in denying these after they've had so many of their reasons slapped down is possibly saying they don't. There's there's they're trying to issue these new. Uh, custodian rules and then we think they could lean on that um, but even then that would probably subject them to another lawsuit um, because mm -hmm. basically you spent 14 years denying these things and all of a sudden now that all of your reasonings has been shot down by the court you're going to come up with another reasoning mm -hmm. um, 
So yeah, our, our litigation analyst, Elliot Stein, thinks that if the SEC does that, it's basically a delay tactic and they know they're, they're likely to lose in court, but it still like would be a way for them to keep delaying and kicking the can down the road on allowing these things to get to market. And on Ethereum spot, I, I, I kind of didn't really fully answer. If, if we see a spot Bitcoin ETF approved and Ethereum futures do indeed launch in October, um, those Ethereum proposals are due at some point in, in um, May of 2024, so May 23rd-ish, I'm guessing, so late mid to late 20s of May. Um, I'd be surprised if the SEC denies an Ethereum spot application after approving futures and if they approve spot Bitcoin. But we need to see what happens over the next few months. But I, I, th- I think um, if those two things do happen before May, it's likely that spot will be approved mm-hmm. in or around May. Interesting, interesting. So I, I had I had a question um, uh, from from a listener. They wanted me to ask you: Would there would there um, I don't know if it's uh, proposed or maybe we, we could see this down the line? Would there be like a um, uh, an ETF with maybe some of the BTC related stocks um, involved in it, or or just so far it's just oh they're um, out there. Oh, they're yeah. already there. Yeah, there's so like Block from Amplify is the first one. Um, I can rattle off a whole bunch if you give me one second. But Block yeah, yeah. from Amplify is the first one. We call them we call those thematic crypto funds or blockchain funds. Mm-hmm. And basically, they came about back in like 2017 during the heyday of that 2017 bull market, trying to um, basically get people exposure. And a lot of like even advisors and people like if they kind of want exposure and maybe they don't want to actually deal with the actual physical asset, but they just want some sort of exposure. It's there's some minor ETF. So it's kind of like investing, like you want exposure to gold, but like you're just going to buy gold miners. That was the way you used to do it before a gold ETF existed. And that's kind of the way that we're looking at these. But we have, there's one, about a billion in assets um, in these products. So yeah, we have like Amplify's uh, Block, First Trust has one LEGR, then Bitwise has um, BitQ. I mean, there's there's like 15 of these funds that do something like that, um, where they invest in equities that are related to it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also been a bunch of them that have closed. So there's one, two, three. There's been four ETFs that did this that have closed because they never got enough interest. Basically, it's commanded by Block and at 462 million right now in assets. And then First Trust has one that's just over 100 million. Um, so they're not getting super high levels of interest from from investors right now, but they have meaningful assets and they're profitable funds. Cool, cool, good stuff. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting. You, th- you think we see an, um, you know, I'm never into asking people price predictions and stuff of that nature, um, and I'm not going to, but I, I would, I would, ass- I think a lot of people would assume this would be a good catalyst for, Bitcoin, maybe just crypto in, in general. Uh, are you are you on that side, James? Yeah. So I'm I'm actually not even allowed to say that, but I like to give a price prediction. But the way I'm looking at it is like it's way more complex than most people think about it, right? Like, yes, yeah. the the indication here is one: most people who have want access to this stuff already have it in a Coinbase account or a Strike account or Gemini or what have you, right? Like, if you really wanted exposure, you already have it for the most part. Yeah. The people that this it's really more about like what this indicates like the SEC acceptance and approval of these products is a big deal, right? And then the the people that this really helps are advisors. So if you're an advisor and you have a client with, I don't know, $10 million in assets and they have like a few hundred thousand in crypto on their own account, it's not under the umbrella that you can charge for. And you also don't know exactly what they're doing as you're trying to get a full financial plan. So like there's all these other benefits of like an ETF launches and it's a way for them to like actually 
maintain the client's crypto exposure and charge money on giving that exposure out, right? Um, so, and then also institutions, there's a lot of institutions, pensions, endowments that are restricted from buying certain things. A lot of them, you can only buy securities, right? Bitcoin is not a security, so they can't expose it. But if it's wrapped in an ETF, it is considered a security because it's covered by the SEC. So like there's other institutions that will, will gain access. So like there is some, some benefit here and some potential new investors. But the, the other part of this is like, if, if these are approved, Grayscale GBTC owns 630 something thousand Bitcoin, like 3% of the, the current supply roughly. And all of a sudden this thing is no longer, th those Bitcoin are no longer locked up. Like it's not as clean as like, this is an automatic, like sure. net, it's, it's a net positive over the long term. but like what happens in the short term, particularly when GBTC unlocks all that Bitcoin, um, who knows? Like I, I'm of the camp that like, there's some people that think it's going to go down. The assets are going to drop like 70% because everyone's fed up with Grayscale. I don't think that's going to happen. There's going to be tax taxes that come due if you do that, it's, especially if they lower their fee like they say they're going to. I think people are going to be more likely to stay than a lot of other people are expecting. But it's definitely not um, as clean cut as a lot of people like to say. Sure, sure. Act. You got to remember, it also opens the ability to short, right? So futures mm. kind of did that. You can. It's easy to short. It's not as easy. It's not very easy for like a retail investor to to short Bitcoin. There's an inverse ETF now, an inverse Bitcoin futures ETF in the U.S. and there's stuff international uh, internationally. But it's like not the easiest thing to do. Um, a spot ETF would open other people to to get on that side of the trade. Sure, sure. That's a good point. That's a good point. You know, you know what I think too, JJ. It's like um, see the thing with Bitcoin, like you can't like dilute. Like they can't like dilute the shares. Like you know, other yeah, like we're used to. <laughs> yeah yeah so but yeah you know, no, th yeah it's interesting yeah you're yeah, not going to have issues like you had with ftx where they say they have x number of bitcoin and they have like way less like that's just not going to happen um yeah. with, with an etf now theoretically could they like i don't know lose their keys or something yeah but I, it's not going to be the same sort of like paper um paper bitcoin trading i do think there people will complain about it some of it there will probably be like some creation for redemptions that will happen with futures um hash dex's application so like the way that they're going to get exposure so they're going to hold futures and spot and basically the way they're going to get exposure to spot is by exchanging those futures basically letting the future settle in spot is a way to think about where exchange for physical where these futures are equivalent to five bitcoin or one bitcoin and i'll exchange you 10 futures for 10 bitcoin and that's how they're going to get access to the spot which like the, a lot of the SEC's concerns have been like manipulation in the underlying spot markets and hashtags is like, fine, we won't touch them. We'll just use, do it on the CME, which is a regulated market. And we'll just exchange futures for spot. And there's no like price that's happening there because it's like, we're exchanging this for that. And there's no like price exchanging hands here and it's happening on a regulated market. So like the way hashtags is doing that, it's kind of like very interesting to me because like if the SEC really wants to find ways to deny these things, they could lean on different things that would probably subject them to being sued. But like if they deny hashtags application, I would like, I can't wait to read that denial letter if it does happen in May. Um, Cause it'll just be so utterly fascinating. Hmm. Yeah. That's the nice thing about, about these, about crypto is there's no dilution as you know when you get public companies and you know the companies are issuing my big pet peeve is stock-based compensation uh, <laughs> you, know, like you, you see you see these poor shareholders they don't even know what sbc is and you see these companies that put out s8s that are like that could choke a dinosaur you, know, <laughs> you really need a billion shares in employee incentive compensation like a billion share s8 is that really necessary i know people you always know? complain about buybacks and they don't realize like that the, there's like two sides of this coin here like they're, yeah, they're like, doing both of these things yeah yeah and, and then of course everyone then becomes a consultant like the ceo's girlfriend's brother 
you know, as a consultant and, you know, he's got paper. Everyone's getting paper, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's beautiful if you're on the receiving end. I mean, I lived off S8 stock for, for 10 years. Uh, you know, uh, I've never bought stock in my life. It's always been given to me. I don't know why anyone would. But, uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's it, for retail people. It's horrible. You know, someone's just diluting the crap out of these things. So that's one thing I like about about the crypto markets, because there's a set amount of supply in and they can't create any more, hopefully. Well, I mean, for some coin, for some of these yeah. assets, <laughs> that's yeah. only, that's only yeah. true for a subset of them. I would say that there, yeah. I would say a majority of them wouldn't wouldn't be classified as that. But I think yeah. most people are are not interested in, in those other ones that we're talking about. That that goes to the rife with fraud and manipulation side of things. I think yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. James, you you mentioned something about losing the keys. Uh, has has that been any chatter like like because well, that would be pretty disastrous, right? If a fund's holding like a large amount. And they somehow lose the the private keys or uh... yeah. So there's like there's like insurance policies that you can read. Like you read, they have insurance policies in case of things like that. They have they disclose that that's a risk that they could lose some of this or like they disclose like people saw the they ha- if you've looked at any financial documents like a specific the amount of risk disclosures in there of stuff is just insane. So when when iShares first filed, people one thought it was an ETF. They're like, it's a trust, not an ETF. And then you had all these people like, look at this risk disclosure. They're talking about forking Bitcoin. And it's like, no, they can't not, this would not get through and propose. Like they can't just not explain anything about what a fork is and like the risk of like choosing the wrong fork. That's basically all they were doing. And people like, they're going to they're gonna fork Bitcoin and kill it. Like that's going to be BlackRock's goal, which is absolutely not the goal whatsoever. Um, so yeah, it just goes back to like all these different risk disclosures. So there'll be disclosures about potentially losing access, all these different things. And it'll just be like, this is a potential thing that could happen. And then it will say like, this is, there'll be some like underlying language about like how they're going to handle it. They'll have insurance policies in case that comes out to pay people out, things like that. Yeah. Yeah, man, that that would be, that'd be a disaster. Um, uh, James, I, uh, I guess I really haven't asked you any of you, like your personal stances, um, uh, on crypto Bitcoin, um, I would I would assume you're pro Bitcoin, right? I mean, I don't want to assume, but yeah, personally, we, we try to stay like kind of like um, uh, indifferent, I guess. But no, uh-huh. I am definitely pro- on lean on the pro side. But I also like am quick to like call out things that are like obviously <laughs> obviously bad. Um, but like I, I'm more of the opinion that like um, the SEC is a disclosure regulator, which is something that Gensler will say repeatedly. Um, but a lot of the things they've done recently have shown that it wasn't disclosure. It was merit-based, which they are not a merit-based regulator. They are not there to say like, this is a good or a bad investment. They're just there mm-hmm. to like, these are disclosures. These, they want everyone to expose those risks that I just talked about. Like that's what their mandate is. Um, and it's my view that they've kind of gone over that a little bit with some of these things they've done in the last few years. Um, the flip side of that is honestly, if they had allowed GBTC to convert into an ETF in 2020 or 2017 or what have you, uh, we might not have caught all the fraud and manipulation that was happening with FTX and Three Arrows Capital and these Voyager, Celsius, all this other stuff. Like GBTC was at the center of a lot of this that caused like this domino to fall of these people doing really sketchy things in the back end. Um, so that that was a net long-term positive however painful it was at the time for people in the space mm-hmm. yeah are there any um are, are there any uh particular you know crypto or blockchain applications that you think makes sense that maybe like you uh you're excited about for the future on the fun side 
Uh, just uh, just crypto in general, uh, like blockchain tech, or are you uh, anything that pop stands out to you or not really? So I listen to a lot of stuff, so I don't want to pretend like I'm an expert, but I listen to a lot of the different podcasts and spaces and things like that. Mm. Um, but for the most part, I tend, tend to like really just focus on looking at what's going on with Bitcoin and Ethereum, mm-hmm. largely because that's what our clients at Bloomberg are most interested, most interested in when I talk to them. Um, and also that's kind of like the more set and grounded path, uh, a little bit stable coins as well. I mean, stable, the one thing I would say on that front is like a lot of Bitcoin maxis will talk about like Bitcoin is the future, stable coins are nothing, but like they have found product market fit. There's no argument at that anymore. As far as I'm concerned, like they mm-hmm. are, they've, they found product market fit. And that's like arguably the only thing in the entire space that has found <laughs> product market fit aside from degeneracy and gambling. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing to say that that won't happen, but, um, but yeah, so we, we, I tend to focus mostly on, on Bitcoin and ETH and largely because that's what my clients are most interested in. And that's where most of the capital is, right? That's where the market cap is. Sure. Um, so those are the areas that, that, um, that I focus on. Well, that's, that, that's really cool to hear that. Um, I, I wasn't sure uh, if there was interest in Ethereum. That's, that's, that's pretty cool to see that a lot of clients are uh, pretty interested. I would honestly say that I get like, now I get most questions about Bitcoin, but you'd, you'd be surprised. A lot of people are very, there's a lot of ETH maxis out there, particularly in finance, because they like the things they could do with like um, smart contracts and like yeah. just writing things into like the, into the financial side of things, as much as it's been kind of a joke with some of the, <laughs> the hacks and different things that have happened and just obvious flaws. And as far like, if you're from finance, like sometimes you look at some of these things and I've seen some of these, like this money got hacked or this was lost. And you're looking at it. Like, how was that just like allowed to happen? Like if somebody in finance, like that's like textbook 101, exactly. but, but exactly. here, but, but here we are. A lot of it is like, these are tech guys like trying to reinvent and they think that they know better than TradFi and they make like the same mistakes that people in TradFi were making 60, 70 years ago. Um, yeah. But clearing in custody is always such a it's an interesting thing. It's a lot. Most people don't even think about it. But the the plumbing that allows a market to work uh, of the clearing in custody system is uh, that must be something else for this Bitcoin. I, I can't even imagine. So, yeah. So actually, like one, yes. I mean, I think a lot of people realize how complex it is with the Robin Hood debacle with it, <laughs> with GME, with oh, GameStop God, yeah. and AMC. Like people were like, what do you mean? Like, this is not like it, like, yeah, there's like a time between these things that settle like and then there's money. And, and like people like just had no understanding of at all how that works. So I think some people have more understanding now. Other people yeah. just think it's a complete conspiracy. But like <laughs> that, uh, the settlement, that's that's why I kind of highlighted hashtag before, because they've kind of fixed the settlement issue. So if the SEC oh, wants okay. to come back and say settlement, the fact that they're settling with CME exchanging futures for for spot oh. and the fact that it's on CME, which is a regulated market already, like yeah. kind of settles any issues that the SEC could then bring up. Like, well, we're worried about settlement and exchanging of hands and money going over to the Bitcoin network, what have you, right? Like if they, yeah. the SEC says that's what their concern is. One, I would say we have tons of spot ETFs globally and they have no hiccups. We've seen multiple bear markets, 80% drops, and those things traded tight as can be, traded in line with the price. We saw, we, I mean, there was an, there's an FTT ETF that went to zero, and it still traded super tight as that thing was collapsing. Um, okay. So, like, like, like the ETF is just an amazing um, technology and structure. So, mm-hmm. like, it, it, it'll, it'll clean things up essentially. But 
the, the hashtag one kind of settles some of that settlement issue. So it kind of only really leaves the questions like if the SEC really wants to harp on something, it's custody. Or if they really are risky and want to risk it, they could go back and like say they really do think there's still fraud and manipulation in the spot market and go back to the court. But I don't even know how they would come about doing that. The court has basically yeah. said that argument is, is dead. Yeah, I guess the burden of, then they'd also have the burden of proof, right? So, yeah. Yeah, part of the problem with the fraud and manipulation thing is like they're asking people to prove it's not happening. And it's kind of like, well, prove to us that it is happening exactly. in this market. And DSE isn't doing that. So that, I think that's part of the reason. So maybe if the SEC comes back and says with proof that this is happening and these are manipulated, what have you, which it, the one area where like I would throw up like a red flag is that DOG, DOJ and SEC situation with Binance, like all that's wow. under seal. So if something comes out under there where they can prove that there was manipulation in the underlying spot market all of a sudden it might make like that loss that they took to grayscale a little less that's me like uh putting on my potential tinfoil hat like if, <laughs> if there's one area of concern like that that would be the one area that they they yeah. could uh they could find it okay it's, interesting. it's fascinating to see something new roll out like this uh, the genesis of a market is is very i always find that fascinating yeah for sure and that's why yes why we want to get you on here james um that's that's it for me, uh, JJ. Do you have do you have anything else? Uh, I'm 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 good. I'm a you know I'm 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 an old guy gouger. So this whole Bitcoin thing is I'm I'm still learning every day as I go, you know. But I find it fascinating. It's uh, and thank you so much for for being here and sharing your knowledge with us and educating us. Uh, we really really appreciate it. Yeah, happy to do it. This was fun. Absolutely, James. And just just to um just ask you because I I um just to clarify because I, I know you said a little bit earlier I, f- I forget the numbers you said um ninety percent sure you said this would pass by by what date just just curious not 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 to I'm not pinning no, no, you no, down no it's fine no yeah pin me down it's fine we no, we throw it curious. out there yeah yeah, just yeah, curious. yeah. yeah. Uh, end of 2024 we're we're over 90 percent that this should get approved awesome um awesome. but we we change our stuff as things happen right we've gone up we've gone down. Um, and we're around 70, 75 that we think it could happen this year. But again, we're waiting to see what happens with that grayscale decision. Um, so like if the SEC comes out and basically says we need 90 days or like we're going to, we have to review this more or request certain days, we don't know what's going to happen. So like October 13th is the deadline for the SEC to basically appeal for an en banc hearing. So basically appeal the decision. And then right after that, the 16th, 15th is when all these decisions all these spot Bitcoin applications are due for another one of those delay, deny, or approve. Mm-hmm. Um, so it could be like a sweet spot where the SEC is like, all right, we have, we have no, we've been, all of our defensives have been broken through. So we're just going to approve these. Now I wouldn't say it's, Oh my God, this is highly likely, but certainly possible. And then um, ARK in 21 shares is due on January 10th, 2024. So that's the final deadline. And if that is denied in January, um, I would say the odds of 2024 just goes down a decent amount mm-hmm. um, because I can't see them denying that in January and then approving a bunch of stuff in March. The only way I could see that happening is if they deny all the applications aside from hash dexes, which is that one that I talked about um, where they just do like the exchanging futures for spot, which again is like, in my opinion, losing the forest for the trees, right? Like it's way right. too much. Um but that's the only way that could happen. And then, like I said, if that doesn't happen, I would just love to see specifically a denial letter for that application from hashtags because they, they went like a real novel approach to try and answer any of the SEC questions and work with them. Whereas some of the other issuers are basically like fighting with them, obviously, as Grayscale did and they won in court. Um, so, yeah. 
that, that's what those are the dates to watch essentially. Cool. And then what we will see ETH futures ETFs launch. The first one will be um, Valkyrie will have a fund. They have a Bitcoin futures fund now, and will be it's going to trade from just Bitcoin futures to holding Bitcoin futures and Ethereum futures starting like October third or October fourth. Um, Bitwise will do the same thing. And then we should see the first full-blown Bitcoin uh, Ethereum futures ETF launch on October 12th from volatility shares. So um, those are coming to market. We're like very confident in that. Um, so we'll eat crow if we're wrong on that front. Yeah. Awesome, man. That's the, thanks so much, man. I'm, I'm excited for that Ethereum too, man. I'm pumped to hear that. That's awesome, man. James, thanks for educating us, man. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Appreciate you going into detail for us. And that's going to conclude today's episode of Confessions of a Market Maker. If you guys enjoyed this episode, please rate and review it for us. If you'd like to join a supportive and professional community of traders, you can join us at microefutures.com. Uh, James, uh, let the listeners know where they can find you and uh, anything else you'd like them to know. Yeah, so if you're a Bloomberg Terminal client, where I'm very available to have any conversations <laughs> that you might have on Bloomberg IB or message or what have you, so feel free to reach out. Otherwise, I'm we're my whole team and I are very active on um, Twitter, so my handle is J-S-E-Y-F-F. Um, so you can reach out to me on there, always commenting on this. And we, the one thing I would add is like, we have a team of people that like cover different markets. So we have a litigation analyst covering this from that perspective. We have a policy analyst in DC who covers this and knows everything about going on crypto. We have people covering bankruptcy law, covering Coinbase from an equity analyst perspective. So I have a group of people like around me, not like I'm covering mostly the fund side. So I give my input from what I'm seeing and I get input from everyone else. So there's a whole team of people behind like my views and my thoughts. It's not just like, <laughs> this is my personal mm -hmm. perspective as much as most 90% of it is. Um, I take, there's a lot of input. There's a, there's a huge team of us over here at Bloomberg. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, that'd be great to have access to. Shout out to you guys doing great work over there. So yeah, if if we get it right, if we get it right, it'll be great work. We've gotten we've gotten a lot of a lot right so far. So we'll see over the next uh, nine months, and then maybe we can talk about whether or not it was great work. <laughs> well, we're 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 in a game where we're uh, we're dealing with probabilities here, right? Not certainties. Yeah, everyone's gonna get something wrong. Uh, we won't hold that, we won't hold that against you, James. So for uh, James Safert, I'm Paulie Walnuts. He's the gorilla of House Street. You stop, though. So.